for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So what does it mean to be a grinder? Let me put it to you this way. I once had a coach ask me how I get my kids ready for a championship game. You know what I told him? I don't. It's after all the initial excitement and adrenaline has worn off when the real game, or in your case, when the real hunt gets tough. That's what I want them to be ready for. It's easy to go hard for the first quarter or even for the first inning or for the first two days of a hunt. It's what comes next, overcoming, pounding, and finding a way that separates the cream from the milk, y'all. On today's show, it's all about no excuse elk hunting, grinding it, and internal grit. We're going to help you look at those tough situations and possible reasons for failure. And we're going to help you turn your frown upside down, finding reasons and solutions to turn problems into maximum opportunities. Those topics, along with our Elk Bros shout outs and letters from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host Gilbert Ornelas and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk, and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, Welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and from New Mexico, your elk hunting coach, Joe Gillia. 
and none other from Katy, Texas, the leader of the Venezuelan mafia, Luis Gonzalez. Yeah. Hello, guys. Did, did you have that arm wrestling match yet, bud? Huh? I, I, no need. He already no lost. Need. Conceding. Yeah. Oh, wait a second. There's a problem here, y'all. What's up? Um, so, yeah, you know, you, he's in Katy. You're there in spring. Got two Texas boys. The way I do the math, there's only this uh, one New Mexico boy here. So, man, I'm going to have to do something to. Oh, we're gonna even the to, odds there? We, we, yeah, I need to even up the odds on this, bro. We need to do what? something. What? Are huh? you kidding me? Jeff, Come how on, are you man. doing? Two New Mexico guys. This is so cool, Jeff. Are you there, Jeff? Yep, I'm here. I can hear you. <laughs> hey, man. How's it going, brother? Oh, good. Good to see you guys again. Good to see you, oh, buddy. Good to see you too, Jeff. Man, what a cool surprise. I wasn't <laughs> dude, expecting We got it, the Joe. Godfather with us tonight, Joe. You didn't tell me. Oh, who. dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like... You know, buddy, man, uh, I, I've wanted to bring him on so bad, and and I've had to be isolated from him. And today, him and I got together, and we we're like, dude, we're gonna pull you in just like we pull everybody else in. So that's fantastic, that neat. Man. Yeah, didn't even tell me the wolf was showing up, bro. <laughs> <I know. laughs> that's a little. That's a little Pulp Fiction uh, plug Pulp for fiction. you guys that don't know what the wolf is. If you don't know what it is, go watch the movie. <laughs> so chap tell everybody man uh, uh how you doing brad well you know it's uh i'm in pretty good you know I, I can't complain considering the situation um i think uh physically upper body i think I, i'm there where i want to be good and uh the uh the walking is is taking some time but uh you know, I'm able to take three unassisted steps so far, but uh, it's it's coming along. I'm like a giant toddler. I keep telling everybody, you know, <laughs> no hair, and right. no diapers, and it's I walk good on you, toddler, man. So, <laughs> but otherwise, uh, you know, things are are going pretty good. Um, uh, through this adventure, I met uh, a lot of outstanding people just uh, everywhere. That's fantastic. And uh, I know a lot of strangers. Uh, that I or people that I don't know from uh, the podcast have, have reached out and you know I'm very appreciative and uh, there's a lot of good people in this world you know there's yes sir you rotten apples but I think for the most part uh, a lot of good people you know blessed to live in this country and I bless our friends like you guys just amazing yeah, that's why, dude, man, we've got we've got a quad going on tonight, man. That is so and, cool, time. man. Well, <laughs> for our listeners, this is the first time ever we've had uh, four of us on together. Uh, we haven't had Chav on since. Well, I think the last time, Chav, that I had you on, I jinxed you because we, we did the podcast. Everybody was like, oh, I was so excited to hear Chav. And then uh, a few four days later, we were back in the hospital, man. Yeah, oh, man. yeah. Yeah, I'm, done with, uh, I'm, I'm actually done with with all the chemo now it's just a matter of waiting for uh, uh definitive results uh on may 6th i believe and then uh i can start working on on what i need to work on you know, i had my last spinal tap yesterday and uh she did a good job didn't feel a thing that's fantastic so, uh, you know done with all that done with all that yeah that's good man that's answered prayer for sure well, so 
I, to make them feel even better, uh, the, the best medicine after a spinal tap is, let's talk about some elk, y'all. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Joe, we're going to get right after it. I mean, you guys know what time it is. Shout out. Time shout for the Elk Bros. Shout, shout out. out. Shout if you're new to our show, these are just some of the shout outs for fewer cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. And uh, Chav, uh, I, I'm going to start first of all here before, because you guys don't know this, but I sent Chav another script because we were playing. <laughs> so he's going to so be cool. reading out the stuff that has Joe on there. But I actually had some, I had some fellas that we want to put on here. Uh, and I want to do a shout out to actually two young grinders, man, that, uh, uh, that just blew my mind. Got some letters, and I got one from Paul Snort, and uh, and we're going to do a shout-out to our youngest grinder out there, three-year-old Hunter Snort. And Paul wrote me a letter, and he said, you know, he said, I love y'all's show, and my three-year-old son Hunter as well. My son now gets into the truck and asks for elk bros, man. He says, that is so cool. That is crazy. He says, whether he really understands or not, it still puts a smile on my face. And um, I'm going to, uh, I, I want y'all to see what, what this guy's doing. This is three-year-old Hunter here. And uh, you guys can see my, cool. you can see this, right? Okay, yeah, uh, I want you to I want you to watch three year old Hunter and <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, man, dude, he's already making good tone. Uh, let Let me play that one more time because I, I I think I I kind of blew the the audio over here. So no, here we go. Right now. <laughs> I heard worse bulls. <laughs> and I remember when when I saw when I got this letter, I told him I was like, "Dude, man, he sounds better than Luis already." I was gonna say this is embarrassing, <laughs> man. Dude, I already noticed that I did not say that. Okay? I did not. You were thinking it though. That. You were thinking it, and you sinned for it too. That's messed up. But I was thinking it too, so I, I'll let you go. I'll let you two pass. <laughs> so, hey, Joe, I, yeah. I want to do something really cool for that okay. young man. If you can get his. If you can get his uh, address, uh -huh. I'd like to. I'd like to send him a hat, uh, okay. so he can have one of our hats. So oh, if you that's get his awesome, address, bro. man. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll purchase him a hat, and you can send it to to Paul. Hunter. Paul, you listening out there, bud? Sounds like uh, Hunter's got a hat coming his way, man. So Amen. he can wear Very that cool. when he gets in the truck. <clears throat> and and today, uh, I had missed because of all of the stuff went on, and I try to listen. All you listeners out there, I work hard at answering all your questions and all your emails. And somehow or another, Joe Emmons had sent me an email back in March, and somehow it fell through the crack. And uh, we're going to actually have him on our Elk Bro Letters today. But I sent him a letter to apologize for that. And he sent me back some photos, um, him and his son, on the elk hunt this last year. They scored, and I'm going to show you the picture of this so you guys can see it. This is Joe and Parker Emmons. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Joe and Parker cool, Emmons, man. man. What a beautiful bull. And, yeah, isn't, that, isn't that cool? Yep. And, so very cool. And uh, he also, Parker, 
does some calling as well. Fantastic. And uh, what I want you to see is this guy, this is without a diaphragm call on here. I want you to see what this guy does, man. Um, check out their channel and subscribe. So now I'm in a real bugle, and I don't have a reed in my mouth, and I'm using this too, and it doesn't have anything. So here I go. Are you kidding me right now, dude? Are you kidding me? What is what is what is life to be young, man? Holy crap, that is impressive. Oh man, what it's like to be young. Logan used to be able to do that too, man. He used to be able to just go. But see, that that video was taken when he was nine years old, and Parker is now twelve years old. And so the first thing I asked was, I said. I was like, Joe, can Parker still do that, man? He yeah. said, yeah, he practices it every day. Wow. And, and you know, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to bring this up again down at the bottom when we hit the letters. But, you know, one of the things that that uh, Joe wants to do with Parker is, is, is he wants to involve his <clears throat> son more in the hunt. And, and he was asking, you know, about ways that he can do that. And then I tell you what um, – Parker, bro, uh, so Solid. proud of you. You sound awesome. You're yes, killing it. And yeah. I don't think uh, I, I really am envious of what these two are going to do in the future because they have a lot of memories and exciting no moments lined out, you know? Yes, no they do. Yeah. Very so it's, cool. It, it, it's pretty cool to see that. How, how's that for a start? Well, we got Chav coming on. We got, oh man, we got a three-year-old Elk Bros. We we got a twelve-year-old that is like a, a that guy's like a master man with the voice already. <laughs> like I said, husbands kiss your wives, wives kiss your husbands. Keep your broadhead sharp and your powder dry, and we'll see you next week right here. On the <laughs> We're done. Drop huh? the mic. Drop, drop, drop the mic. Drop the mic. That's it. Drop the mic. Wow. Well. We're awesome, going to get to Joe. our shout-outs, and I've been waiting to say this for a long time. Chav, take it away, bro. Okay, topping our charts this week. It wasn't until 1997 that our top listening city was incorporated after history as a hot springs resort. Near the mouth of the Jordan River, there are natural hot springs that inspired early settlers in the area to create a resort. The resort was opened in 1884 and has several buildings and amusement park facilities and was a very popular location for tourists and visitors. At its height, an early Disney of Utah, you could say. Uh, what once was an incredible resort has all but disappeared to a trail that leads to heating waters in Saratoga Springs, Utah. Utah in the house. Utah. Eeyaw. Eeyaw. <laughs> Man, Saratoga <laughs> Springs, Utah, in the house. Yeah, I mean, That's hot awesome. springs. They have hot springs. I hear they got some springs. giant bulls up there in Utah, Joe. Oh, my goodness, man. You know, Nevada, uh, Utah, I hear they got some big ones. You know, one of our, our grinders, uh, Mike Wilson, up there, man, is just, uh, uh, he's chomping at the bit to be able to get out there. So uh, I tell you, I, I, one day, maybe. <laughs> One day, maybe. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> That's like a, a bucket list thing for me to be able to hunt in every state 
uh, be able to hunt like September through the end of October and hunt every mm-hmm. state in the union, you know, uh, that has an elk herd. That's kind of a bucket list thing for me to do. Wow. <laughs> I got to get busy. Yeah, I've been able to hunt in two states. (laughs) There's a whole bunch more, but hey, man, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. Next up, Joe, named the Salt City. A grain elevator in our top listener city is half mile long and holds 46 million bushels in its 1,000 bins. But get this. The first United Methodist Church here was built in 1874, during the time of the great grasshopper plagues. As a result, thousands of grasshoppers are mixed into foundation in Hutchinson, Kansas. Hutchinson. Hutchinson, Kansas. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> well, I, I wonder if that, that church bounces any, man, all them grasshoppers and stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I joke. Know. I know it tore Spoiler. up a bunch of cops. <laughs> no, but, yeah, you, know, you know, if my daughter's listening, she's like, dad joke. Yeah. Dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Luis. Come and take it. This defiant statement sparked a revolution that would, that would forever define the spirit of our next stop listener's town where the fight for Texas liberty began. The first shots of the Texas revolutions rang out here, and its people played a pivotal role in helping the Lone Star State gain its freedom from Mexico. Referred to as the Lexington of Texas, its pride in its nickname is still strong today. Gonzalez, Texas. Gonzalez. That's right. (laughs) Gonzalez, Texas. Been there many, many days, brother. Many days, huh? Yeah, beautiful town. Oh, what's the best place to eat in Gonzales there, Gilbert? Uh, there's a steakhouse there right on the Brazos River. Uh, oh, I can't yeah. remember the name of the steakhouse, but I know right where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> I yep. figured, man, Gilbert, if, if there's a good place, you've tried it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> there's another good place. There's a little shell station there. Uh, I think it's on 71 or 77 right there that's got some really good kolaches, too. Okay. They're homemade. All right. Bohemians in there, they know how to make those kolaches. Mm. <laughs> what is is that, bro? A kolache? Yeah. You never had a kolache, yeah. Joe? What? A what? Oh, man, brother. I got to bring uh, something to elk camp next year. Chap, oh, yeah. you know what a... What, On what the is, list. How do you say that? I've it, never heard of it either. Kolache. So. <laughs> kolache. Kolache? So it's, it's a pastry about that big, okay? It's about that big. Oh, okay. It, it, it looks like... You know what a... Uh, <clears throat> you know what that that uh donut looks like it's about that long it's got chocolate on the top and it's got cream in the center of it they call them a, a long, long john. john yeah a long john okay yeah. well it's about that size but inside it mm. it doesn't have the chocolate on the top it's really awesome bread and inside it it's got a big piece of jalapeno cheese sausage in it and really? uh, you oh, talk so about good, good ever heard well, of and look, it they man. put all yeah. kinds of things they put yeah. boudin in them now they put you know, sausage, they put bacon, cheese, eggs. Yeah, tons I mean, of different flavors, but yes, uh, man, yes. it's so good, so good. Oh, so that's Very like in, in West by God, Virginia. <laughs> they, they, they have a thing called a pepperoni roll. Mm-hmm. And uh, and my son-in-law <clears throat> made those for me. He's from West Virginia. And mm-hmm. uh, it's funny, some of these unique things like that that are out oh, yeah. there. So, yes, sir. Uh, well, yeah. I got to try one of them puppies, man. Oh, yeah, man. We'll bring some to Elk Camp for sure. It's a good idea. All right. Here year. we go. Yeah, I mean, they're great for breakfast and, you know, uh, just uh, snacking around on. They're really good. Cool. Well, next up, if you're in Minnesota and looking for a scary experience this Halloween, 
you can take part in our next city's 38th annual Haunted Woods Trail. Not me. In the event, <laughs> it attracts, in the event attracts about 3,000 people, and there are tricks and treats and 300 carved pumpkins that guarantee a scary great time, time in Rosemount, Minnesota. Rosemount, Minnesota. Minnesota again. Yes, in our okay, house. man. Every uh, week. Every week, man. Minnesota, boy, listening, listening, listening. Uh, that that's so cool. And what, Gilbert? What's up with that, man? You you ain't scared of little old ghost, are you? <laughs> I'll do the spirit stuff, Joe. that's that's a real realm and people don't understand it you don't want none of that on you joe (laughs) Uh, last but not least cabez okay if you're in our next city and you find yourself at the prohibition pig restaurant get yourself some poutine is that the right pronunciation that's it poutine because if you never had french fries with gravy on them you're missing out and after the salty food, it might be a good idea to try something sweet because this city is the home of Vermont's ice cream giant. If you have ever heard of Chunky Monkey, Cherry Garcia, and Chip Happens, <laughs> yep, we're at Jerry's Factory right here in Waterbury, Vermont. Waterbury, Vermont. Chip Happens and Chip Happens, man. I'm going to use that one. Chip, Chip happens. happens. I love Ben and Jerry, man. They came up with some really cool names of their ice creams and yeah, stuff Sutra like that. And, and all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, <laughs> man. Dirty Sanchez. I mean, wow. It's uh, <laughs> it, it, crazy stuff they've come up with. But, man, it's an eye catcher. Oh yeah, yes, man, right. and and right there in uh, Vermont, and it's funny because it's it's Waterbury, and we actually went to this part of the the country. Our daughter took us out and ordered some poutine for us, and I was like, "What the heck is that?" You know, and it sounds I don't know French to me. You know, poutine. I don't know, and <laughs> and and then all of a sudden they bring out French fries with gravy on them. I was like, "Oh." We call them fries with gravy. <laughs> yeah. Or dirty fries. Dirty fries. There we go. Yeah. But man, it's good. It was really good. Yeah. If you haven't absolutely. had it, you haven't had it. Hey, guys. So tonight, um, your intro, Gilbert, uh, was just dynamite tonight because um, today's topic is no excuses, elk hunting, where. Our goal of the show is to talk about those things that hunters see as a reason for failure. Some people call them excuses. Um, I mean, our track kids were great. I think, remember, Chav, there was a T-shirt. It's too windy, too hot, too cold, you know, (laughs) all of those. And uh, what we want to do is we want to take those some of them and kind of debunk them a little bit because there's a lot of times people think that, hey, this is why I'm not getting it done. We want to kind of debunk those myths and instead instead and instead of just talking about how, you know, those are excuses, what we want to do is find solutions and let people know how some of those are actually opportunities. Yeah, all right. And embrace the grind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Embrace the grind, man. Yeah. Because that's what it gets down to. And that's the thing, too, is, look, when when we talk about our grinders, man, we talk about 
and and you people do it and work every day. No, look what's happening right now in this country, man. I mean, things that hit you, and you get up the next day, you put your shoes on, and you go back out and you get after it. You do what you can every day, and that's the same thing. When when we talk about our grinders out there, whether it's uh, um, the you know after day four and and things are wearing on you and things just haven't happened, you stick with your game plan, you go out there and do what you're supposed to do, you go look for those animals, and you find a way to make it happen. You work your butt off, you use some of your insights, maybe change the game plan, maybe go to plan A, B, or C, but you don't give up on it. You don't give up on it. So um, that's what we talk about our grinders. It's a mentality. It's an attitude. You know, like I said, as soon as I put my hand around the grip of my bow and I look towards those woods, I feel every time in this here heart that I'm going to kill an animal, that I can take a bull on that day and make it happen. So that's what we're talking about with our grinders attitude, man. That's what we're wanting our people within our realm to understand and what we try to portray. So when we look at some of the things that are out there that a lot of people will look at, yeah, I mean, you can look at a calendar and right away you look at a calendar for the hunt and some guys will get a negative attitude about things. Uh, I mean, any ideas on what you guys think some of those might be? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that jumps out of my mind, Joe, is, you know, guys look at it and see when the dark of the moon is because they don't want to hunt in a full moon. I'm like, hunting in a full moon is one of the best times in the world to hunt. Yeah. Uh, and it's really kind of glass half empty or glass half full right? Uh, for, for me. Uh, I've hunted and- both. Uh, would I prefer to hunt the backside of that moon for sure? But man, I'm telling you, you can make hay while the moon's shining, uh, all the time if you know what what to do. So, what's moon, the problem? What's the problem with the with the uh, a full moon during well, the hunt? Typic- typically, elk, you know, will feed uh will feed longer right uh, down below in that moon right right. <clears throat> so, um. They're not they they they're gonna tarry uh, a little bit longer, but it also put them in the trees quicker too as daylight comes. Right, right. So um, you know you have to adjust your pattern of how you're gonna hunt your your herd of elk that you're hunting <clears throat> according to that. Right. So you need to be in the woods a lot earlier. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're not down there because they're gonna be there. They're creatures of habit. They're slaves to their bellies, and just because you got a full moon doesn't mean they're gonna quit rutting. Or quit, you know, looking for food or quit looking for cows. Yes, absolutely. And and at the end of the day, look, if you have an option and you'd rather hunt uh, in the days in which you don't have the full moon, great. But, you know, a lot of people don't have that luxury. So moon or no moon, you're out there hunting. And if you're passionate enough about it, you're going to make it, you know, make lemons out of the lemons you're given and, and make it worth your time and enjoy the hunt as much as you can. I mean, at the end of the day, you're out there and it's something that you longed for, for so long. Might as well just enjoy it and make the best out of it. Yeah. And Joe and Joe always, you know, we, we hunt early, so it really doesn't matter. September 1st, we're going to be in the woods. So it don't matter where the dadgum, if it hair looks the governor, I mean, you know, hurricanes, it didn't matter. I mean, (laughs) we're going to be in the middle of the woods come September the 1st. I've been there, done that, and now we got a T-shirt on. Uh, at, at the end of the day, 
you got to, and it didn't matter what the moon was going to be. And as, as a matter of fact, that year it was in the full moon. So yep. it didn't really matter. And, and we don't, yeah, we want to hunt closer to the equinox if we can, but there are, there are mitigating circumstances too that help uh, drive us to where we are. You know, Joe guides in the middle of the month. So at right. the end of the day, yeah. he's got to take advantage of the, the early part of the hunt. And so. to your point, Beto, there is no perfect circumstances for a hunt. I and I, there, there's been so many times in which every element has been perfect. You look at the weather is perfect. The temperature is perfect. The, <clears> the moon is perfect. The day is perfect. No rain. You know, everything looks perfect. You get out there, nothing. <laughs> been on some really good ranches. Been on some really good ranches in the middle of the blasted full part of the rut, October fifth through October seventh. Yeah. I mean, it is going bonkers, and it's so hard to get on a bull. Uh, it, it just is, you know. And how many times have you been wanting to get out there? Uh, or not been wanting to get out there because of all the excuses that we're going to be talking about oh, yeah. today, and then you finally decide for some reason to just finally convince yourself to get out there and guess what happens that day that's yeah. the day where it happens you <laughs> well, know? how many times does that happen take advantage that you do have during a full moon a period is uh you can get out there or even earlier and locate where they're at and get an idea where they're heading so, right. uh, yeah know, because understand something too is that you know we we talk to people about night bugling and Elk in a full moon situation are going to be screaming their head off at night. Like you said, man, they're going to keep going. Well, so what if they go in the trees earlier? Because, guys, it's in the trees that you're going to kill those critters, man. Uh, you're, you're not going to kill them out in an open meadow. So uh, now for a rifle hunter? Yeah, yeah. a little bit of a problem. You got to train, you got to change a little bit and you got to find those transition areas where they're coming through that are more open, where there's a little more open canopy uh, so that you can get that. Or you better make sure that you're on them at daylight or you're going to get that golden 15 minutes before it it gets dark. Right. But uh, the, the key thing is, is remember half the battle of killing an elk is finding them. And if they're screaming at night in a full moon, you can locate them things in the moon. Shoot, we have traveled with them. Remember, Chaff? Yep, I remember. <laughs> we, we traveled with them, Boogers, uh, because we had a real tough hunt. Uh, it was difficult. Uh, a lot of the things that you're going to hear that we're going to talk about down here below. And uh, it got to the point where I said, look, guys, grab your stuff. We're going to go sleep down in the bottoms, man. We're going to go sleep where the elk are. We're going to find us a drainage. We're going we're gonna to sleep in the bottom of it till they cross the top of it because their scent's going to come down. We're going to reverse the game on them. We're going to smell them from the thermals. And so we did that. We went and slept down. In, in fact, you guys have been with us where we parked the bike over in that area, down in one of those areas. And we slept in that grass down on the bottom about 11, 11.30, I caught wind of them, woke me up in my sleep, smelling the elk. We got up out of bed. We went up the drainage, found the elk, screaming at night. We stayed with them 
from midnight until daylight the next morning. They would move, we would move. They would stop and feed, we would sleep. We would just sit there with our back against a tree and sleep. We'd stay in enough distance that we knew where those critters were, and we were on them at daylight. So uh, that that's critical. And remember, again, you're not going to kill them out in the parks. So if they're getting up in the trees earlier, well, great. Uh, you're going to now parallel and stay with those animals till they get to their bedding destination, and now you're back in high cotton because now you're where they're going to be for the next eight hours. So uh, that's just something that it really doesn't matter if you get that additional half hour in the morning or or, or not yeah. because you just need to locate them and then follow them up into the trees. So the full moon to me, man, like Chav said, man, we – you know, at, at night you can walk around and you don't have to worry about falling in a hole or something like that. It's uh, it's pretty cool like that. So, yeah, that's one thing. Anything else, y'all? No, Joe. Uh, I would like to. I'd like to add that. Uh, look, just with the whole topic, right? I mean, right. I think we we were kind of discussing that a little bit before, even before uh, we started our 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 chapter our show. today, mm-hmm. our show. Um, one of the the conversations I have with people that uh, you know that talk to me about coming here and uh, you know what are what are the biggest difficulties and you know they talk about yeah the preparation they talk about the walking the the ten to twelve miles a day and so on and so forth and mm-hmm. and I'm like yeah that's all that all can be rough but to me the hardest thing to do is the moment for from which my, my phone goes off and with the alarm clock in the morning at, you know, three fifty four o'clock in the morning <laughs> up until I'm actually on that bike ready to go out there and start hunting. Or on that your time, feet. Yeah, on your feet, Walking dressed, dressed yeah. up and ready to go. That time period is to me the hardest to overcome, <laughs> especially like we were talking about. Third, on day. third day, fourth day, when, you know, you've already taken that beating on the previous day. two days. And, yeah, um, man, yes. you've had a solid ass whipping the first two oh, or three days. Oh, man. I mean, you've you heard a peep or you ain't seen a peep. Right. I mean, uh, and then it's so cold and it could be cold in the mornings. <laughs> and then it's just, you're just right there tucked in. Finally Can't found be cold that in your spot. tent, boy. You've got a heater, man. <laughs> Uh, you finally found that whining, spot Joe. that is warm and you're just right there and you're like you know that that the alarm going off means you now have to get yourself exposed get out there get naked and get dressed again <laughs> and then I don't know get what's out going there. on in their tent Joe. Oh. i don't sleep naked <laughs> man we're going off unleashed already joe <laughs> you said well, you get naked right, because so you change it anyway you, what 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 Luis is saying is exactly Gilbert what you were talking about in your intro when somebody walks up to you and asks you you know Luis how do you get yourself up for the 4th through the 7th through the 8th or the 10th day of an elk hunt and you know again what what I told Luis earlier what I tell anybody else is you need to take you a friggin piece of paper and write 350 on it and tape it right there above where you can see it on your tent when you wake up in the morning. Because that's what it's going to be when you're done with this. It's going to be 350 friggin' days till you get to come back out there and do that again. You've been waiting all this time, man. I, I see people on Instagram 
every day. Right now, I mean, I you see things. Can't wait till September. Can't wait till man. I've been seeing that since doggone October, man. When yeah. when September was over, people like I can't wait to get back out. I can't wait to get back out. And they're prepping and they're doing all this stuff and they're 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 buying gear. They're spending money. They're they're working their butt off. They're losing weight. They're getting in shape for ten days, if that. Some yeah, right. guys it's only five, some by seven. Shoot, some people might only be able three. to be three. Correct. So every morning that you open those eyes, you should be telling yourself, man, th- this is all I have, you know? That's right. And I, I'm- well, it's the preparation that you put in. You know, I've said this time and time. Part of, part of me is I'm going to let you guys down. Y'all done a tremendous amount of work to get us to where we're at, be successful, uh, and I'm talking especially about our guides, right? And and then also guys in camp. I mean, how many times, you know, uh, case in point, Joe, we talked about this earlier, you know, you and I probably could have knocked two bull. You, you knocked a bull down and I passed on taking a, a shot at a bull. We could have probably had both those bulls down and Luis and Manano and them hadn't, and Brendan hadn't even made it to camp. And all of a sudden we get back to camp. They're coming into camp and in we street got clothes. Up in street clothes. And we're like, man, we're glad to see y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and the work started, right? That's right? So we load them up. They even got to put camp together and we got them in, in the grind already. Right. You know, yeah. putting them, putting them in there, toting quarters out. I mean, and I wouldn't have had it any up, other way, man. That was they so were awesome up to get to camp. Yeah. yeah. I, well, when we talk about grinding, man, and it's, it's really about a mindset, you know, Absolutely. Uh, that grind is, you know, got in the intro, I talked about, you know, getting my teams ready for a championship game. I don't have to do that. We've put in the work, you right. know, they have grinded all year, you know, to, to get to that level. So what we do is we just trust our training and we get in there and, and we make, you know, as Luis alluded to, we make lemonade out of lemons. You know, uh, no matter what, no matter if we're down, no matter if things look bleak. I mean, you just take a look at our hunt last year, Joe. We show up the first day we we get lost. Okay, not really lost, but can't find where we really want to hunt. Right. And and then the the mule shuts down on us. Okay. (laughs) You got to get off. Right. You got to get off and go back to to camp. Right, and have to hike back what, I, about yeah. a few yeah, miles. You hike a long way back to camp, <laughs> seven or some odd miles, right? So Joe's on a hike. Chav and I are sitting there, and I'm like, "Well, I guess we could sit here and feel sorry for ourselves, or we could let out a bugle and see what happens." And I'll be dang, we don't have one open up, you know. So shoot, I'm not wanting to get too far away because you know we don't know how long it's going to take to get you back, and. uh Oh, and I had a mule deer tag at the time too. Right. Well, what I learned really quick was when you're calling elk, those mule deer are real, real uh, inquisitive. Heck, I had a mule deer walk right out in front of me, and I did not have my bow. Right. So we're mm-hmm. we're sitting there at the bike. So at, at the end of the day, we could have let that be a huge impact on us because we had that problem. Then Chav got sick. I mean, we could go through a whole lot of things. But at the end of the day, grinding is just about taking every bit of obstacles that you could think of and setting it on you in camp and you still get up every morning, right? go out there and put it in. And look, three, look, three bulls down in four days. Exactly. <laughs> right. Look, Gilbert, I no mean, matter what. The, it all started like for me and mine, it started 
in friggin' Dallas, right? I mean, we were having issues with the vehicle, with the trailer, with the parts, and it, it just easy to go it, kings. Oh X, my gosh, <laughs> flat, you know, blown out tires. I mean, it just yeah. and and then we got to camp, and then obviously, you know, celebration yeah. because yeah. you guys had had a bull, bull down, right? I, I blew mean, four uh, tires out on the way to New Mexico. Exactly, and no, then had to and come then rescue me, and then so <laughs> so to your point, the tone. And the uh, the atmosphere at camp could have gone completely oh, totally. sideways because yeah. it was tough. Yeah, I mean, it was rough. I mean, the emotions, you know, you could sense the, a little bit of tension in the atmosphere because we were all worried about chat. We were worried about, you know, not being able to have a means of transportation. I mean, things weren't shaping out the way we planned it. And, uh, and then we were a bit concerned, right? Yeah, and, but we dug down, made it happen. Well, right? the, one, so, the one thing that's a, that is a known in – is you just get out doing what you do. And and that's what we did. And you know, for those people that are that think about that, how hard it is to get out of that tent, look, nobody it's a it's called a hunt. Nobody can guarantee that you're going to kill an elk, but I can guarantee you if you stay in that tent you that you're not going to. Yeah. So uh you gotta be in the woods. Famous uh, number words one. of Carl Gamage. Yeah. I can't guarantee you can kill an elk. But I can guarantee you won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. To me, it's it, you got to make sure. My mindset is I want no regrets on a hunt. No doubt. A perfect, a perfect hunt for me is a hunt with no regrets, and that goes in so many levels. It goes about the shots you make, the decisions you make out there. It goes about everything, but also it goes about look. I've got seven effective days in one year that I that I dream for the entire year. And I'm going to make sure as hard as it is that I give myself the opportunity during those seven days. And I have no regrets of saying, man, I should have gotten up this morning and I didn't because I was too tired. You know, I'd I'll rather take it, I'll take it a step later, uh, a step further. And that after I get done, I guide the rest of the year. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I'm up in all kinds of weather, freezing, wet, uh, horrible stuff. And I get up every morning to take somebody else like it's my hunt, you and know, that's the way it should and, be. And, and that's how I feel about it. I, I get up every day excited uh, to, to take somebody to be out there because I have the opportunity to be in the woods and chase the most majestic animal there is up close and personal, you know. And so a lot of those guys will be like, and, and this will put us right back into what we were talking about. We get up in the morning, and they'll go, God dang, Joe, it's too windy, man. We ain't going to hear anything today, right. you know. Well, you and, sure can't kill him from camp. <laughs> You're not going to kill him. But let of course, me tell if you, you got what, Luis and Manano in camp, the food is amazing, right? So <laughs> be sure set on your fat butt and go ahead and eat. But let me tell yeah. you what, guys. A windy day? A windy day? Look, hunting is not just... It's not just hearing an elk to the response. Remember, you use your eyes, your nose, you look for that sign, you catch that smell. And then when you start working the sign and you start working in those areas because you know they're going to be bedding in an area 80% of the day, you start getting in those bedding areas where now it starts to break the wind just a little bit. But if you can get on an animal where you catch a noise or you catch a sound or you catch a bugle just because you're in that vicinity close yeah. enough. And then you work in on that animal. The wind, man, 
gives you a huge advantage because I, man, I have found bulls in parks in the morning at daylight because I night bugled them, knew where they were. It got really, really windy. I'm on them at daylight. The wind is howling, and I stalk in on those boogers because they're not going to hear me. There's all kinds of things moving around them. So it gave me an advantage. You know, the wind's coming at me, so they're not going to smell me, right? It, It is a perfect stalking situation. It is a perfect elk killing situation if you do that. I hearken back to the first time that I had a, a, a friend with me and I was hunting with him up there in New Mexico. Uh, wasn't really guiding for money, but he, he was with me. Mm-hmm. I was calling for him the whole nine yards. Right. Uh, and it's the first time it, it was at least 40 to 50 mile an hour gusts. And he had a muzzleloader during muzzleloader season. We were easing down this draw and I mean, had the wind in our face. I mean, it was like a gale force wind. So you couldn't have heard a bull if you, if you, thought you could right i mean it, it just all that commotion going on right oh mm-hmm. no buddy let me tell you something I, cal called one time sure and i'm telling you it sounded like a symphony of bulls right in front of us right <laughs> i mean it it was so loud i went oh my god they're i mean they must be stampeding us you know mm-hmm. i'm like oh my gosh so I told Jeremy, I said, get down, man. I, I'm like, they're coming right now. Well, no, they weren't. They were fighting out in the middle of this park, and there must have been 30 right out there. So when I figured it out, we just started using jack pines to get up on them. But it was so windy, they were sure as heck weren't paying attention to the noise we were making mm-hmm. or the movement that we were moving because right. everything's moving, you know. Mm-hmm. We st- snuck in to within 112 yards of that bull, and he shot and killed that bull in a gale force wind. I'm, I want to give people a nugget out of what you're talking about because uh, it just brought some up to me that I it happens all the time. Me and Chav do this all the time where we are st- stalking in on a bull. And uh, I've seen a lot of guys that when we're stalking, they want to go off to my right side or my left side and try to see the bulls we're stalking in. Right and if, you, if, you're, if you're buddying up or even if you're triple, you always get right behind your person and right behind there. Keep that bull right in between. So you look like one object. You don't want multiple objects of movement. If you just stay right behind that front person, that front person screens for you and it makes you look like one object. So when I stop, we're all stopped. Right. So that's something for you guys to think about when you're, when you're sneaking up as well. And but Chav, Chav's like so much smaller than me. You don't even see him, man. <laughs> right. Hey, Joe, I was going to say uh, this, this, this past year, you know, talking about getting up in the morning and, and grinding it and, uh-huh. and getting ready to go out there and overcoming, you know, your, your pain and your sores and all of that. You know, I, I want, I would like to uh, ask Chav to share because Chaff wasn't feeling good, man. And At you all. couldn't hear a complaint from Chaff. And he would get up every morning and get out there and get it done, you know, and 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 do it with the team. And so I, I want to understand what was he was going through, the pains he was going through, and the things that kept because, him moving. Because Chaff had cancer and did not know it. Right. Right. Yeah, he's battling it the whole time up on the mountain with us. Yes, sir. So what yeah. was your motivation there, Cabez? Well, I, you know, I enjoy being out there, and I could, I could, you know, sense the excitement 
that you guys are going through. And I was able to kind of uh, live through that experience you guys were experiencing. Because uh, just getting back to camp at night and, and talking about what happened during the course of the day uh, was very interesting to me. And, you know, it's like being out there. You know, I can yeah. visualize where you guys are at. I can visualize the, the bulls coming. And, of course, you had video also. Yeah. <laughs> What was so special to me is I got to have Chav look right down my shaft while, you know, right down the arrow shaft with me and uh, calling out my yardage, the whole nine yards and him not feeling good at all, but he never backed down one inch. Oh, I tell you what, at that point in time, I don't think Jav felt any illness at all. (laughs) (laughs) That adrenaline was blowing through all our veins, wasn't it, Chav? All you could hear was the click, click, click. It's quite an experience, especially with the, the group of people we have out there, you know. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah admirable for sure. It's something that I'm like, you know, and that's something I'll be thinking of next time I'm out there, right? I mean, I have no reason to complain about getting Ever. up and getting ready. I mean, just looking the way Chaff did it, having cancer, not knowing and still grinding through this. I mean, and if I could tell our listeners one thing, man, and, and it, it's one thing that Chav and I have been talking about a lot is that, look, YOLO, you only live once. And mm-hmm. you do not do not know how quick, how quick what we think we are capable of doing can be taken away from us. I mean, you have a, a guy sitting here with us that is a Hall of Fame cross-country runner that I have never worried about where I went, how far, how fast, how rugged, how tough, never worried about it. Chad was always on my heels. And here he is now trying to relearn how to walk, man. So, you know, when you guys get out there and you start to feel a little sore underneath here, a little chafe Mm -hmm. over here, a little tired because of this, suck at the daggum up, get your knuckles bloody and get (laughs) back out there, man. That's, that's, you know, uh, get back in the saddle. You know, man, you know, I just... Go ahead, go ahead. A lot of it, like you said, is uh, learning to uh, persevere, you know. I know there were times, uh, and I'm sure Manano and Luis and even Gilbert experienced it, where it's like uh, you've walked miles and miles and miles and and haven't seen anything, and you're totally exhausted, and you're about ready to go back to camp, and you hear a bugle way out there somewhere, and you're like, oh, should I tell Joe? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we, we've talked we, about that a thousand times right. we do yeah, for sure no and the answer is that is no <laughs> the, the the problem is joe is starting to pick up on it now even if he's suspicious he can read it off of face or her faces and there we yeah. go anyway we're still well, after that little yeah smell. i can remember being at uh tres piedras up in northern new mexico near chama and uh we were on on a top of a big old mountain and we were just kind of scanning, and, and uh, Joe says, hey, there's some elk over there. And we go, where? And we looked out there, and it looked like it was five miles away. Just, you know, you can barely see some dots out there. And sure enough, there were elk. And he says, let's go. And, and we're like, we're going. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're, what? We're to pers- uh, persevere because uh, the moment you're ready to give up, and they'll cool up here. That's guaranteed almost. Yeah, you're not going to kill them if you're, if you're watching them. Yeah. You know, that's, that's why I keep asking people, do you want to look at elk or you want to kill them? So uh, yeah. you, you got to make some decisions then, man. And like I said, it's, uh, 
And we only have so much time in our life. We only get so many opportunities. And I can tell you this, you know, uh, Chav keeps telling me, and, and I keep looking at Chav and and buddies of ours like Don Primley and and uh, Larry Gill, and Larry's in his 70s, and, and uh, guys that are uh, 10 years my senior, and I see how they're doing stuff, and I go, oh, man, I, I think I got a few more years in the windshield, uh, but I got news for you, man. Like I said, we do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. So today right. is a gift. That's why they call it the present. present. Right there. So right. you, you got to take advantage of every day and every moment. All right. Uh, I, I want to go back to some of these yeah. things that we talk about, that we tell these guys, uh, you know, we're trying to help with some of those solutions with things, people. I, I hear a lot of times this, that, that it, it's just too hot or it's too dry. And so the bulls aren't rutting because it's hot and dry. And, you know, uh, I think that lends itself more to what Gilbert was saying about the moon is mm -hmm. that, you know, when it's hot, them critters want to get in the trees sooner than later, right? Because in New Mexico, now y'all that are up there in Montana, you're in Wyoming or you're in some of those other places, I imagine in your air it's the same way that you get into the shade, from the sunlight in, in, in the mountains, and it's a 10 to 15 degree difference. Easy. So yep. those critters go find holes that they can get into. But I'm going to tell you that if animals did, if they didn't rut because of temperature, then they would never start screaming the way they do in Magdalena or down in Socorro, New Mexico, or in Arizona. Nevada, or in the flats of Arizona when, I mean, it's cooking. And, I, I mean, when uh, that picture I showed you earlier of Joe Emmons, that's in Oregon, September 1st, 101 degrees, 101 degrees. So yeah. it's, it's not the temperature that has anything to do with the rut. Yeah, the rut has to do with cows coming equinox. in estrus, and they come in estrus around the equinox. That's it. End, end of story. Now, as you move further north going up because of the changes of the daylight, it, then that rut can come in at different times. And what I mean by north is going up to, towards the Arctic, right? As you get up yeah. there, you get different amount of daylight, so it hits those cows differently. So, yeah, that can change things a little bit. But uh, – you know, when your elevation too, your elevation will depict some of your temperature as well, Joe. It'll it'll depict temperatures, but it's not going to change the sun and no, the sun. It change the, rut, yeah, right. the, the sun hitting those cows' eyes and and that length right. of day is what cr creates that equinox. That's right. So that's kind of where I was going with that point. But here, here's when a it's thought, hot though, and dry, Joe. huh? What's that? I was going to say. Here's a thought, though. I mean, whether it's hot, whether it's dry whether it's rainy, whether it's um, the, the, the moon is out, whether we think it's, we're close to the equinox or not. Right. You know, it's not like when those conditions are not right, the elk completely vanish and disappear and they go under the earth, you know. Correct. The elk are still out there in That's the right. woods. Regardless there, of all these conditions, they're still Absolutely. out there. We've hunted in all there. three or four of those scenarios you've listed, Joe, and we've killed bulls in every one, multiple bulls in well, every actually, one. Uh, there were people this year that was in a very wet, wet year and had a lot of difficulty because 
the elk were not concentrated anymore in those traditional because we've had a lot of drought in the in the few years mm -hmm. so it's been those better grass areas it's been those better holes it's been those better water areas where you've been finding all of the elk concentrated when you get a wet year they spread out and becomes a little bit more difficult sometimes to find them because they're not in the traditional areas well for us Where'd it was go? hot it was hot yeah, all it was. in the first part i mean it's sure. smoking Mm -hmm. I've never seen it that hot. I mean, it's it's miserable to take a nap in. It's miserable to hunt in because you're sweating like a... But it uh, wasn't dry. <laughs> but it wasn't dry. But I don't know what I was going to say. But yeah. it goes back to to everything you've, you've preached on the podcast, guys, uh -huh. is, you know, you understand elk behavior. You adapt. And exactly. then based on what you're seeing out there, based on what you're perceiving, then you come up, you know, like you've said it before too, you got a plan A, you got a plan B, you got a plan C. Right. And then you keep evolving with the hunt based on the information that you're ga gathering exactly. day in and day out, you know? Right. So, and, I, and that's all about preparation. What you put in before you went hunting, understanding the area you're going to hunt, understanding where your herds like to be, the corridors they like to travel through, the water holes they like to use, the wallers they like to use, the ridges they like to bed on. All of that stuff goes into play. And look, elk are where they are. They're not super patternable. I mean, they just, they're nomadic and they move. And there are a lot of well, different. Well, especially things. during the rut, they're going to get yeah. push, push, push. Yeah. Now, bef Those before that, you, you can, you can mark them a little easier before that they're going to have a little bit more of a, of a pattern but you're you're absolutely right once they start getting urges man they're moving 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 right you know, another thing i hear hunters talk about all the time and look i've you know when i've brought new guys in i mean you know steve tucker brendan Houlihan, even Luis and Mana, one of the big things that gets in their head quickly and, and it, look, when I first started, it kind of did with me too, when I was hunting public land, mm -hmm. was running into hunters in your hunting area, right? Because right? you are hunting public area. That gets in your head. I mean, too many hunters are in an area, guys feel like they can't, you know, kill a bull. Well, you can get that out of your mind real quick, right? Oh, uh, absolutely. At, at the end of the day, they're going to help you if you learn how to hunt your areas. Yeah, right? and, and <laughs> the, the elk, again, are intelligent to people and we we talk yeah. about high use and low use areas and i think a lot of people look at uh when they bump into a hunter like that hunter is almost um uh, like i don't know if i want to say virus or whatever but something that has tainted the whole place and it's like elk are just going to run away from this area because yeah. there's an elk in it and and i'm going to tell you this that's not the case they're going to go where they want to go to the bedding area they want to bed to the water area they want to water to the feed area they want to feed and they're going to go around you um we tell that story all the time this last year we had just been with two other i mean there were the three of us you me and chav we had been what uh we had uh met up with with pat and pat jr two yes, other sir. hunters in the area right there um we split up and this is after being in the area all over oh, yeah. called in talking loud talking high-fiving the little yeah. man called in, called in two other hunters remember yeah called Guys in coming from other. down below that mm -hmm. turned and started going the other direction they were we unsociable. Flock. I don't know whoever y'all were. Y'all were unsociable. <laughs> unsociable, guys. <laughs> well, we, we walked 200 yards, 200 yards, and I killed a bull. 100%. 100% true story. Yeah, I mean, within, uh, going 45 minutes, yeah. 
what's that, Chow? I said it was within 45 minutes, maybe a half hour even. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was only that long because, you know, we we hadn't gone 150 yards. I give a little call and we hear a bugle. So we're slowing up. We're working on setup. We're checking things out. So it was about 45 minutes. But I guarantee you we didn't go 200 yards, man. I know. And, you know, Chav and I, the year before, <laughs> I, I'm calling in a bull for Chav. Uh, the bull somehow circles by him, comes up towards me. I shoot him at 18 yards. We are high-fiving, talking. We have five other bulls come running into us while we're just talking and carrying on. I mean, it was it was a comedy. And then we ended up leaving to go back, and it wasn't 45 minutes later after I left, and it was not 200 yards away Cab kills his bull. So, uh, and guys, let me tell you, it's not that elk are just like running all over the place, man. No, it's it just ain't. that uh, there are many days we go out and we don't see anything, sure, you know, or, or hear anything. So, uh, the, I, I gotta say, Joe, that's one of the behaviors that I've learned from you. Uh, one of many, right? Uh, the first hunt I went out with you, I, I do remember it was a busy year. I mean, we we bumped into a lot of people. Uh, out in the woods uh, that year and my first reaction when we identified that was another hunter and we went into the call or they came into our call and we we spotted them I'm like okay let's turn around let's get out of here you know let's just not bump into each other and you know just kind of a little nervous and hesitant about no bumping to the, the other hunter. You did completely the opposite. And I was like, man, this is, this is odd. Right. So you went in, you introduced yourself, you had a conversation with them, you exchanged information, you know, it made the conversation pleasant. And then you all talked about y'all different strategies and what, you know, we were going to do. And then we went in our different ways. Right? right. And you kept on doing this and I'm like, Hey, you know, and you know, for everybody out there, everybody would bump into the woods they know Joe Gillia. So it's uh, Joe is very well known yeah. Uh, yeah. everywhere in those woods. And but, very uh, well received. That's right. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's something that I'm like, hey, you know, this is a different approach and I like it. And um, case in point, last year, you guys were in, in camp, you know, and me, Manano and Brendan went out and uh, we, we started calling and then we heard responses and then we started going in and then we realized there were other hunters and we're like, well, you know, we will probably, we don't, we don't want to bust their hunt if they actually have elk coming in. Correct. So we'll right. they move out and then we, yeah. we turn, turn around trying to get out of their hunt just in case, because we were hearing, uh, uh, bulls and bugles from different spots so it's like right. let's back out let's not ruin their hunt either right and as we're backing out we hear another bugle in a completely opposite direction from right. where these guys were at which these guys weren't hearing that bugle and we're like oh wow so we went completely opposite direction and we had a shot opportunity way in the opposite direction too so i mean case in point to where even though there's other hunters out there it's not your hunt is not ruined I mean, absolutely can, not and yeah. and i want to clarify so you guys that are listening understand too when we have the situation when i see other hunters if i see other hunters and that hunter is engaged in a bull i'm out of there right i'm out of there but if we're just working through the woods and or i call somebody in or 
we see them working through and they're and there's not a bull we haven't heard anything we haven't engaged the first thing i do is is i give a little bit of a wave so that they can catch my movement and then once i see that i i don't approach until you know i know that those guys have seen my movement like that mm -hmm. so uh and then you know i i have a philosophy that I want people to know that I'm in the woods for two reasons. Um, we we get to know people that way, but the other thing is is they're going to go tell somebody else. So there's because they don't think the same way I do, and they're going to tell right. somebody. There's somebody that's already hunting. Yeah, I bumped into this guy hunting the woods over there. Yeah, this guy's staying right in that one area. Yeah, this guy's over there, and they kind of bounce back a little bit they kind of it's almost like a, a a bull bugling himself way to a herd and and splitting the herd you know it just kind of moves things to the side it just kind of you know they give you a little bit of a buffer zone in there and if they don't that doesn't bother me i'm still planning on being on the elk before anybody else yeah. and that that's what it's about and it's been public land my whole life and uh i i just don't buy that too many hunters in an area ruin it. And I, I see, you know, a lot of these guys that go into the high mountain areas of Colorado and, and they think that if an elk sees people that they're, that they're going to freak out and they're just out of the country. Well, I got news for you, man. Colorado is one of the most highest outdoor recreationally used state there is with hikers and bikers and everything up in those mountains. Those elk see people all year all long, time. man. They walk so, through the streets at Estes Park. <laughs> yes, sir, they, they do. Giant bulls walking, lay down in <laughs> they, people's yards. They adapt, man. They adapt. They don't you know? care. I've been yeah. in Angel Fire and had them walk right through the middle of town. Yeah. I, yeah, but worst case scenario, you're going to find, again, the majority of the people that you find meet out there is good people too. Great well, people. Grinding it Absolutely. And, and, and they're, you're going to exchange information. Look, Hey, yeah, there's some hunters out there that would just kind of, you know, not share everything and that's fine. But I mean, <laughs> there is information to be shared anyway, and yeah. there's stuff to, to help out. And they know if they know where you're camped and you know, where they're camped, you know, you, to know, me, you never have, you never know. That's huh? part of the, that's part of the, I, yeah. I'm a, I, I love to play Texas Hold'em. So I like to, be, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to to read other people's faces, you know, yeah. and I, I kind of like the old hunter's bluff stuff. You know, yeah. I, yeah. I enjoy that. I, I find a way to get something out of their information anyway. You yeah. know, like when I say, well, have you been over there? No, nah, no, nah, we there ain't nothing over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And look, and, and, and I've since I've, I've been using that in public land when I go um, hunting for pigs and stuff like that, I bumped into great people out there and yeah, made good true. friends. You know, I exchanged yeah. phone numbers with them. You know, there's two guys right now that went out today to public land hunting and they texted me before they went and it's like, Hey, we're going to be out there today. You know, it's like, you know, when are you planning on coming out? It's like, man, I can't make it, but you know what, you know, keep me posted, send me pictures, good luck, you know? And then, you know, you exchange information. They're good people. And if you're ever in, 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 in a situation where you need help and there is an emergency, you know you can call these guys and they would know exactly where you're at because they know the layout yeah. of the land in that area too. They can. Uh, a a real good friend of mine, Pat Martinez, uh, is uh, – I met Patrick up in the mountains years, years ago. And when I bumped into him, we were kind of talking about stuff. And, and I basically gave him the pattern of what was happening in the area so he could have some success. He was successful that year. He's been successful a lot of years after. And you know what? Um, 
it hasn't been a skin on my nose, off my nose. And that guy has had wonderful experiences. He's shared his experiences with other people. Exactly. The, he's a great person. He's a great friend. So, you know, uh, around comes around, Joe. Yeah, man. Yes. I, it's just, that's how I feel about it. I, I you know, I think another thing that we hear a lot of times out there, the the biggest thing when I bump into guys is the first thing most people are going to ask you are before they even ask you if you've seen anything, they're like, have you heard any bugles? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and my answer is always, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of these guys. I have. You, I, you, 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 you're going to hear a bunch of bugles. I can tell you how many times we have just been in amongst them. I mean, in amongst them, screaming, going back and forth. Me and Chav, Chav, remember the time, man, that we were just going back and forth with that bull across the canyon? Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and we, you leave that situation, and you go 400 yards, and you bump into a hunter. And and we're like, well, how's it going for you? And it's like, I haven't heard a thing. They're just a yeah. beautiful one. Yeah. And, <laughs> so all the this this past year after after the bull um i killed joe you know the bull was too heavy we had to put it on the four-wheeler you were driving it down the bumpy road and manano and i took a shortcut through the mountains and when we got out into the clear uh kind of to meet you uh, at the road crossing there um right there on the corner there were two hunters uh sitting on the corner just kind of you know, stalking, just kind of uh, waiting, waiting out and listening. And we, we bumped into them and it's like, have you guys seen any elk? I was like, yeah, I, we actually just bumped one on the way down the mountain. Uh, it was bedded probably 300, 400, 400 yards from here. And he's like, really, we haven't seen anything. We haven't heard anything. And, you know, we, we'd seen a ton that morning and very close by. So uh, that's, that's why I Another. tell you to be be careful of letting other people's um, opinions or recon of nothing being in the area sway you. So, uh, and and you not know, that I'm saying that they're lying. It's just that there's some people that just haven't well, been. They, in the they will to you. They will lie yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, <laughs> I, I, I fished professionally for a long while, and one of the first things I learned, my uncle taught me a long time ago, Skeeter Lothringer. He told me, he said, listen, don't listen to doc talk, doc, as in, you know, yeah, the right, doc yeah, on yeah. Link. don't yeah. listen to doc talk. Right. It will throw you out of your game. You go fish your game. You'll fish your water. You fish against your fish. You ain't fishing against those fishermen. Right. You're fishing against the fish, right? Right. Don't, but don't listen to them. Number one, they don't want you to do good. And number two, they don't, they don't want to compete against you. So they're not going to probably tell you the truth all the time. Well, man, I'm a truthful guy. If you come and ask me something and I don't want to tell you, I just say, look, I'd rather not say anything until after my, after I'm done fishing or until after I'm done hunting, I'm not going to lie to you because I've had that happen to me. I've had guys lie to me and it's, it's infuriating, right? It's, it's, uh, it's almost, um, just guys don't have integrity. So what I want to tell you is, you know, there's only a few things you've got in this world and it's your word, your integrity. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't want to say something to a hunter, you just let him know, man, I'd really not, I'd really rather not answer that question and just talk to you after we're done hunting. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but don't lie. 
and, don't, and don't you even proceed like that, that. You even precede that with is is look, man. You you seem like a really really great guy and yeah. and all of that, man. But I, I don't want to tell you any lies or anything right now. And I got something working, and I hope to you know. Yeah. And uh, understand, so. guys can't do what you do, yeah. right? A lot of guys can't do what you do. And, and you know, I fished in a bass club, one of the best bass clubs in the world, the Houston Ormonds Bass Club, for a long time, and we shared a lot of information. And what what led me into doing that, because coming from the competitive standpoint, we didn't do that. We didn't share a lot of information. Right. At the end of the day, it was about helping helping all the guys in our club become more successful and and also learn more about fishing and the camaraderie and stuff like that. I tell guys all the time, man, I'm catching them up. And you're lying to me. I'm like, I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you, <laughs> come get in a boat with me, right? But I had skill sets that a lot of guys couldn't do, you know? Right. It's right. like you. I mean, hands down, when the chips are down and it's tough and you got to be able to finesse call and stuff, you know, when you got a guy like you that's in your hip pocket, it it takes that hunt to the next level. level. So, yeah. so much, so important for our guys to embrace the grind, understand the language, understand where they're hunting, man. And it, this all goes into just not giving up. Right. And and to your language point there, Beto, that's another excuse, right? You yeah. know, I, I'm not able to call. I don't know how to call. And I guess Jav and I can relate a lot to 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 that potential excuse. And and I don't know, Jav, what, what what are your thoughts on on ability to call and 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 that being an excuse? Have you been able to get on elk with your with what you do, Chav? Uh, well, yeah. It's a lot easier if I'm with you or Gilbert. <laughs> no, I've I've had my share of uh, you know hunting by myself, where you know I've killed a, a few elk and uh, sure, and I've had many opportunities, many opportunities at, at a at a big big bull. <laughs> we we will we won't talk about the 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 three knocks in the lap, huh? <laughs> we, we, we brought that yeah. stuff up before, man. Oh, that's why we had to cure that whole knock thing this last year, huh? No right, doubt. Right, exactly. Look, look, I'm gonna tell you right now. <clears throat> when I hunt with Chav, if we can see a bull, he's mm-hmm. in a lot of danger. Chav is one of the very best hunters at closing the gap and being undetected, right? right. And he understands how to use the forest, how to use the landscape. He understands where he's hunting. Number one, he knows what those elk's pattern, their habits are going to be. It's tremendous to watch. I've had such good teachers, but he is one of the best woodsmen I've ever hunted with. So when you're with him and he's made this comment several times, he said, we don't really have to, if we see a bull, bull's in a lot of danger. Yeah, right, and you don't have to say anything. We don't to have do to it. say a word. Yeah, especially, when has, in there. especially when you have somebody like Gilbert that can make that long shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you got to have ice water in your veins when you do that <laughs> stuff. But when you <laughs> hunt with guys like Joe and you practice with guys like Luis and y'all go to the bow zone and you're competing against one another, and those kinds of things drive me all year to when – Again, it's just like when we prepare our team to, for that championship game. That's right. Those things drive you all year to when you draw that bow back and you center it up, no matter how far it is, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, it doesn't matter. When you figured it out and you got him in your sight, you touch it off and you know it's money, right? And I've had Chab with me time and time again, you know, so he's one of the best at doing that. 
Awesome, man. And, and I hope uh, I hope we've hit the topic for y'all listening tonight. Uh, we haven't done this in a while, so we're going to end right there for that part of the show. And we're going to head into our Elk Rose mailbox because we've had some people that have been lined up for a while now <laughs> trying to get some uh, questions in. And oh, you I'm going to talk all night, Joe. We can just turn this into Oh, a... God. oh man. Poor guys, man. We'd never answer these questions, man. But, we got to uh, do one life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, you know, uh, listen, you guys that are out there listening to this, let us know. Would you like to? Would you like to have that happen? Would you like to to have a, a live broadcast and and interact or take part uh, with that? Uh, maybe be able to throw questions out to us. Uh, we'd like to see if that's an interest. And if it is, maybe that's something that we'll talk about doing. Uh, so going to the Elk Rose mailbox. Here's the here's the lineup for the team today. Uh, up first is going to be John Jones. Uh, we've got Joe Emmons. Then we're going to hit a section on arrows and broadheads with Stephen Sanders, Paul Perkey, Tim from Abbotsford, and Jason Schultz. Um, after them, in the lineup is Mike Wilson, Aaron T., Ryan Foster, and Felipe Perez from Miami, Florida. And we want to give you that lineup because if we don't get to you this evening, we're going to get you on, on the next show. Um, some of these are going to go quick. Some of them are going a little bit longer. But John Don, John Jones sent a letter in, and, and I thought it was a real quick one for us to be able to answer and get this out of the way. But he says how much he really loves the shout-outs, but he pointed out, um, something that I have mentioned before is that uh, he said he said the shout outs are very appreciated and anticipated uh, an important part of the podcast not to many podcast oh not too many podcasts take the time to thank their fans but there are guys like me in tiny towns that will never make the most listeners list lol <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and, Shame, and he's baby. got a he's got a great point um, <clears throat> y'all there's there are a ton of cities that do not get registered with us because they get uh, actually they have to go through a router in a big city so they never even get their name mm. registered with us so right. uh, there's like there's hundreds of cities out there that just come in as Dallas or come in as Albuquerque or come in as Denver so i have said this to those people to you guys out there that live in small towns like you and me Cimarron here is 900 people, no stoplight. You stick your head out of town, uh, your head out the window, you're out of town. So <laughs> here's what I tell you. Send us your village, town, or city name along with some things people wouldn't know about your town, special places, people, things, activities, mysteries, history, anything special about it, the reasons that you love it, where you live, and we will put you on there and give you a shout out. So uh, just do that, man. Okay. That's a very right. good point, Joe. I'm glad he mentioned that because yeah, it, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's awesome. So first question up, you saw his picture earlier from Joe Emmons from Albany, Oregon. He says, guys, I've been hunting for the last four years with one other bro, my son. He's old mm -hmm. enough this year to join us, and some other buddies have been interested in joining the group. I wanted to get your take on the setup and strategy for three guys, two shooters, or one shooter, two callers, uh, how to communicate and how to make it work as a group. And, Joe, we do this all the time, man. I mean, when Gilbert shot his bull this year, we had five guys in the woods. Um, generally, there's going to be three of us together a lot of times. Um, 
Sometimes we are only two of us. It just depends on how the kills go. If we can lower the amount of numbers in the woods, we do. But now we're at the point where we got to have a cameraman with us. And so that adds a, a whole different element to that. So what I'll tell As you if is it this, wasn't easier. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll tell you, there's um you'll hear some people talk and say that they do not like having two shooters uh, because they always worry about one person is worrying about what's happening with the other guy. Are they going to shoot? Is it in the clear? Is it, you know, there's questions that go in the mind. And, and so they, they worry about, or they end up blowing the situation. Some people will never do two shooters like that. Um, myself, because I'm a guide when I do a two on one uh, with me, I, I have this all the time. And what I actually like to do is I like to punch one guy dead straight in in front between me and that bull and I like one guy to go dead straight out and then downwind from that guy 30 to 40 yards and uh, you have to know where each other are because you do not want a bull to come in between you now this is archery this is not rifle if it's yeah. rifle we're we're right. doing things way differently but yeah. uh, we always say who our shooter is for each uh, encounter, not for each day for each encounter because you yeah. could have multiple in a day but uh if I'm doing two, I like to do it that, or sometimes I'll give them the signal and we do a flying V. So basically they're going from me, the elk is straight in front of me, and they're going to V out to the side. Because what I have found a lot of times is that animal will try to circle from one side to the other. If he does come right down the chute to the middle, both guys are going to have an opportunity. And it is our rule that when you have a ethical, responsible, effective killing shot, you shoot it. Make it. Because yeah. we are a team. We're going to put the elk on the ground. If if you got problems with guys being selfish, you need to find other guys to be in your group. And and I don't mean selfish by them taking the shot. I mean them selfish by being upset because their buddy took the shot because it was the shot to take. Yeah, yeah. I mean I mean we're happy for each other. If no if, doubt. It, if it doesn't go right, then then you know crap happens, Look, man. I've been hunting with Joe, and early in the morning we got a bull coming to us, and he's like, "You're up, you're up." I'm like, "Listen here, buddy, we're gonna kill this bull, either you or me. I don't care who's up. But if the bull goes left, I'm gonna shoot him. If the bull goes right, you're gonna shoot him. That's how it's gonna work. That you know, <laughs> we 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 did all of that with the bull streaming streaming down our neck, man. I mean, he is coming. It, it is no. It, I mean, seriously, the bull is coming in, and we're watching him from 80 yards out, and he is hustling." coming at us and joe's like you're up you're up i'm like are you out of your mind dude if this bull turns left i got him if he goes to the right because we're set up across the road right and that's exactly how we had our conversation y'all can all have that conversation but you probably ought to do it before the bull starts running yeah, absolutely man uh, <laughs> my nano and i never argue and uh, we were, we, just, we, were, we were just happening to argue about who's going to be next. Lightning just struck, bro. His <laughs> nose is growing as he's talking. Well, I know and I went into a similar argument. I was like, no, no, you go next. And he was oh, like, no, 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 you go next. And Joe was just getting upset. You two, stop by. You two get out there. Whoever gets the shot, take it. Because yeah, we were absolutely. wanting to give each other the shot. So, I mean, our yeah. issue was completely the opposite. There. As a team, as a team 
team. Our goal is to put an elk down on the ground, man, as a team. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that's the way it's done. And we're going to pack it out as a team as well. So, uh, and then that, that means, you know, if Luis kills one first, he's the guy that's going to be staying at camp after that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's not myself. It's not always, it's not always the grand thing. It seems to be sometimes, man. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, that's the cool thing about, I mean, really why you want to figure out who you're hunting with, you know, and, and, I'll and then tell you having this, those conversations. Joe, the one shooter two caller is incredibly effective oh, yeah. as well. Oh, and yeah. uh, I mean, that's when, uh, in fact, Luis and I have done that. We were actually five guys together and uh, no, four of us. I'm sorry, four of us together. Yes, for we put two shooters out front. Me, Luis went back, and we put on a show. And you know, it sounded like a herd bull with a hot cow with another bull that's starting to challenge. I could actually sound like more than one bull out there. And and we started to have that happening there. Next thing you know, do 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 do. Here they come, man, because those satellites are coming in, and and we have shot opportunity. So we've done like a half a bull. Chav. Yeah, oh. now, we've done that. You and I for Chav. You yeah, know, put on now, a show. And- as far Crazy. as the communication too, uh, you can you set up signals like let's say that I'm the shooter that's up front and that bull starts to move and I need to move up to it or he's hanging up a little bit or I want to get a different position and I'm going to move up. Well, I might do something like three cow calls that is going to let my uh, my caller know that I'm moving up so that they can come and move up with me like that too. Or I can do that as a caller. I can give three cow calls to get their attention and move them up because the cow calls three cow calls is going to be something that's going to help a situation, not hurt a situation. And Chav and I have this thing where I crow call. He does this little turkey pick, pick type thing. And we know that when we hear each other. And so you you just got to develop those signals and hand signals ahead of time. We do things like we go, I mean, people, they think that's like the, yeah, rad symbol. But for us, man, that's an elk bugle. If we go like this, it's a cow call because there's things I don't hear that these guys are trying to tell me, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes. So we develop signals or, you know, and we'll we'll do something like it's a smooth head or it's a cow and in in what direction, 100 yards, 200 yards. So just develop those and, and uh, all of those can happen. Your boy being with you in this group is awesome. going to enhance the yes. situation um, because you guys are going to have memories uh, together. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and will, one one thing you do, go. Joe, that is very cool when you have the opportunity and there's an opportunity to actually have that quick conversation is mm-hmm. uh, obviously as I'm learning, you told me what scenario we were trying to paint. Right. Uh, you You said, hey, this is the scenario we're painting. This is what we're doing. This is how we're going to try to bring them in. I'm going to, you know, kind of do this and you're going to try to respond to that and so on and so forth. And let's go, you know, and then we break out and I kind of understand to follow your lead with regards to what kind of calling strategy we're applying to that. Absolutely. You got the opportunity to have that discussion prior to breaking out, then the more the better. Right. And people that that listened to our last podcast heard some of those strategies where I tried to sound like a bull with a hot cow with other bulls coming into challenge, putting on a show in that way. And uh, and and, you know, even like, you know, Chav has that hoochie mama for years, man. I mean, he can throw that in, you know, Mm -hmm. as well while I'm doing that. Just anything to paint the picture of a herd back there being worked. 
right? Mr. Emmons, I've got one other thing to tell you. <clears throat> you say you're going to involve your son. Uh, I would assume he's nine to 12 years he's old. He's 12 13. years old now. He's 12. Okay. He, he, he's 12 years old. Uh-huh. The one thing I would, I would let you in on is man, you know, he's, he can do some of the things you can do, but he can't do them all. So what I will tell you is you probably ought to set this up. So he's, he's the one that you're focusing your time on, right? There's no doubt you're going to get some opportunities between there, but for him to really embrace this deal, make it about him and you will have a time of your life. You know, one thing that I threw out to him though, when I, when I heard the kid call, when I, when I heard Parker call was the first thing I think things a little reverse, like Luis says, is that you want to empower Parker. You want to uh, see the pride in a young man. Let him call in a bull for you. You bet. You know, um, trust him. Uh, you guys have those kind of, and, and it's not always going to be there, but he's going to learn so fast. Oh, wow. And he's going to become such an asset that the first time he calls in a bull for his father to kill, it's going to be, look, I've called in for Luis, I've called in for Chav, I've called in for Gilbert, I've called in for Manano. When they take a bull, that is my coup. That's my bull, man. And even when they don't, that's my bull because yeah. I get so pumped to do that that I guarantee you, man, uh, it will create, if that ever comes to fruition, Joe, if yeah, you man. and Parker ever have a situation where Parker wow. here calls one in for you and that happens, it's gonna happen. you had better give me a phone call because yeah. I am going to flip, man, and go crazy. I'm going to be so pumped because that is going to be a memory that you guys are going to cherish the rest of your life. It'll never be forgotten. Just like that photo, I can see in right now I'm looking at it, at Joe with his boy right here with that bull down and the smile on both their faces. Uh, man, it's a life changer, and it's it's going to ripple through eternity. So what, what I'm going to tell you is, is – to involve your son, and I know he's practicing to pull his bow back. He's pulling 49 pounds right now, I think is what it is, Ooh, y'all. So, uh, I, and plenty. I know that he's getting to where he wants to get his animal, uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. You're a team. Yep. He can call in for you too, Bo. So, no doubt. Uh, y'all have a great time with that. Uh, this next thing is a group of questions about arrow and broadheads so what i'm going to kind of do is i'm going to kind of go through and and read each person's there because sure. a lot of this we can answer in one hit and some of the sure. different things so um steve sanders from albany oregon uh he says um is that really albany that's where joe was from emmons <laughs> yeah so I hope I didn't, uh, I hope I got that right there. I don't know if I stuck somebody else's <laughs> city and state there, but uh, Steven Sanders, he says, thank you for your show. One quick question. What brand of fixed broadhead do you prefer to hunt with? Thanks again. Please, please keep up the awesome job. Then we have Paul Perky. So we have one about brand of uh, broadhead. Then Paul Perky from Leveland, Colorado says, guys, I'm going to change my arrows out. Can you give me some advice, arrow advice, please? And I know you guys responded to him on this, yeah. and yeah. and I'm going to talk about that response here in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but uh, we wanted to share this with everybody. Then Tim says, my question is, when you go out elk hunting, how many arrows do you take with you? It only takes one, right? Okay, so <laughs> good point. And then uh, Jason Schultz from Salem, Connecticut, said uh, he remembers me stating in an earlier podcast. He says, I remember Joe stating in an earlier podcast about being sentimental, and I, too, still shoot 
the double X75 and 78 game getters that I grew up using for whitetails, and they work just fine. And sure. getting into elk, are they acceptable for using, or should I beef it up to maybe a carbon core aluminum arrow? I do use a cut on contact G5 Montec 100 grain broadhead, and wonder if I need to beef that up as well. Um, now, we we got this about broadheads and we got this about arrows, right? Um, and we had um, Paul that when he asked about arrows. So, guys, here's one thing I told Paul is I, I want you to look in this whole group. And uh, I am not the scientist out of the group. Uh, I shoot instinctive, no sights, uh, bare bow, and I get a good heavy arrow um, with a 125 grain wasp broadhead on it. Uh, and uh, Jason, uh, I would still be shooting XX75s if it wasn't for a drug pusher from Spring, Texas. It got me, got me, <laughs> got me hooked on carbon. Give me a little uh, crack, and they'll always come back. <laughs> but, but, but I killed 24 elk with double X75s. They're fine, okay. Um, but uh, I am not the scientist. You know, I'm not the Luis Gonzalez that is going to measure Build his own arrow. He he knows every arrow down to the grain, man. And and he's you know, I put together and I tell guys you shoot what shoots best out of your setup. Now these guys have some things here and uh I I'll just tell you, um I shoot a uh I shoot a thirty inch, thirty inch and a half, three fifty carbon express thanks to Gilbert there, and um, and I shoot, I have always shot 125 green broadheads. I shoot a little over 70 pounds on my bow, and uh, I tell you what, it, it just hammers like that. So I like 125 green myself um, because uh, before all this, you know, front of center stuff started to happen, forward uh, on center, um, I've always been using a little heavier up front, and and that's just how I go. Um, Gilbert, uh, Brando, what do you have to say to these guys about arrows and broadheads? Well, it really depends on their setup, Joe. Uh, I'd like to know what he's pulling, uh, mm -hmm. how many pounds he's pulling. But, look, it, it really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I shoot a heavy arrow. You know, yeah, I shoot right, a full right metal jacket, 60, Eastern yeah. full metal jacket. Uh, I shoot a 30 and a half to 31 inch draw Matthews helium. It's about a six and a half, seven year old bow. Uh, it's at about 72 pounds. Uh, when the string's fresh, uh, it's probably 68 to 70 right now. Uh, it's about 89 to 90 KE. Uh, and I shoot a full metal jacket, 340. Uh, and I shoot a fixed broadhead, a fixed cut on contact broadhead. Looks a lot like a G5 striker. Uh, I don't shoot the Montec G5s. Uh, I have, and I just don't get a very good blood trail. It seals up. So I switched and I went to a, uh, a blood sport broadhead now. Uh, Terry Hartcraft built the broadhead. It's called the Hartcraft uh, Deep Cut. They were bought by Pradco Bloodsports, now making it as the Bloodsport Reckoning. It is the best flying fixed head I have ever shot and I shoot consistently 90 to hundred yards in practice. The thing that it doesn't do is it doesn't plane at distance. Most of your bigger broad cut on contact broads heads will plane at a certain distance. They'll, they'll take that arrow and start, it'll start diving one way. Uh, the thing I love about this head is it penetrates like no other. 
for me, you've come down here and hunt our little pesky pigs. They're tough, right? Mm -hmm. They're tough to blow through. And if you can blow through a hog's shoulder with a broadhead, it, this is the one that can do it, right? Now, we shoot a big, heavy bow, both Luis and I do. Uh, you know, even Chav's shooting a helium now. So at the end of the day, uh, those bows are hammers, you know. And the lesser pound that you shoot, the lesser KE. Because I think Chav's at, what, 60, Chav, about? Yeah, right, right around 60, yeah. Right. yeah. And I would tell guys, if you're not shooting over 55 pounds, I would not shoot a punch cut. I would shoot a fixed on contact. Joe shoots an absolute hammer, which is a punch. You can shoot that punch cut at anything you want to with that hammer of a bow, right? Uh, I'm a big fan of a muzzy trocar too, punch cut broadhead. So those are the two broadheads that I shoot. And I only shoot full metal jackets. It's heavier. Could I shoot a carbon? Absolutely. Love them, right? But I hunt elk every year and I don't like changing my setups. So I just hunt with the full metal jacket and, the, and those blood support broadheads. Luis, and I think you're, you're that, pretty much lined out the same way, aren't you, Luis? Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I, yeah, everything uh, Gilbert said. Look, and when I started hunting, he he lined me he lined me up with that setup, you know. And and trust me, I've looked into it and I've I've tried changing it and you know try looking for better options out there. And uh, I don't think I found a, a better setup and one that I'm most comfortable with. This setup has been effective for me. I, same full metal jacket for sure. I do shoot that same broadhead though. I'm interested in that G5 striker uh, after, you know, the conversation with Paul there. Yeah. Um, I like the striker. To, yeah. The but, first uh, bullet but, I took with Joe was with a striker. They, 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 the, they did some upgrades to that uh, blood sport array. Uh, it used to be called the Wraith. Now it's called the Reckon, Reckoning. And I think that what they did is for the better. The only thing I would change, Jason, on that is I would go to a 125 grain. That's just me. That's my personal preference. Yeah. I, and, I still like the way. And again, it depends, like Gilbert said, on, on his draw weight right. and, and his draw length and all that stuff. Right. Because, you know, if 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 you, you put it too heavy on the front and and then you, you have already too heavy of an arrow, right. uh, see, uh, Beto's arrows weigh probably 500 to 550. 10 grain right mine are for like 495 and it just obviously because his is longer and you know you have grains per inch on 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 length of the arrow so mine, mine you, weigh mine weigh about uh, i i look at it and it's about that they weigh about, about that you pick up a rock and then you compare yeah, it so, yeah, yeah it's every one i shoot every one of my arrows in practice and i have them numbered one two three, four, and five, and six. So answer that other question. I carry as many as my quiver will hold, and I number right. them on the way that they fly, right? Yeah. I know which one that I want to have on deck first, and it's numbered on my fletching, right? And, yeah. and I carry I carry uh, uh, four four broadheads and, and one uh, judo because I – uh, I stump shoot, and that, <laughs> Tim asked me about that. He says, "What's stump shooting?" And he, I mean, uh, it comes from back in the day when guys used to shoot at stumps with a blunt with a blunt tip as practice. And I, I use things like bushes, flowers, cow patties with a with a judo point while I'm out in the field, and really helps me to stay on. But you're you're right; it only it only takes one. And and I tell a story uh, when I first started hunting, and I was hunting deer, I bunched. You know, I bumped into a bunch of boys out in the woods and they looked at my bow and they saw my only two arrows that I had with two broadheads. And they were like, well, you're a little short on ammo, aren't you? And I gave them the same answer that, that Tim said there. It only takes one. 
And uh, that <laughs> afternoon, I was driving out with the deer, and and, and they, they were like, "Well, I guess you were right. <laughs> it yeah. take time, you know." So, uh, but now, I mean, uh, those extras are, uh, you know, if I end up running into a bear, I have a bear tag. Uh, if uh, if I end up in a situation, my bow is my is my gun. That's my weapon. So yeah. if I end up in any kind of bad situation, it's going to be my bow that's going to get me out of it. So I need a few bullets in case I need to get out of it. So like Gilbert says, better to have it and not need it than need it and need not, it and not it. have it. Like there a great hand. And uh, Chav. Um, I, I just want to thank you for being here tonight, Oh, my man. gosh, absolutely. And and you've got to satisfy the thirst of these people, Chav, man, because I keep hearing people like, I can't wait to hear Chav's voice, you know? <laughs> oh, it was fun, fun being back on. Oh, yeah. man, so so awesome to have you. You know, I want all of our listeners to know how much we appreciate you. And, you know, we know you've been praying for Chav and so glad to see you. What a great blessing to have him on uh, today. And I want Mike Wilson and Aaron T and Ryan Foster and Felipe Perez to know that we're going to get to their questions uh, next week on our show for sure. For sure. Guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate and review. You got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us. And you can check out more elk hunting contact, uh, content at elkbros.com. And uh, just a reminder, man, if any of our listeners would like to have their questions answered on the show, please send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com. Tons of content this week, guys. Unbelievable to have Chav and Luis and Joe um, keep putting out great content. I hope our guys got what a grinder is really all about. You know, it's all about the preparation and embracing the grind. You know, uh, I know we're up against it, Joe. So like I've been telling everybody, you know, this practicing our social distancing, you know, uh, <laughs> wives wave at your husbands, husbands wave at your wives, maybe fist bump your children, keep your broadhead sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Adios. Peace, peace. guys. Peace, peace, y'all. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.